We are on this series. Um, last week we took a, a small break. We had Dr. Phil Davis here, and um, if any of you are into philosophy, some of you just went, that, I don't know what he talked about, but it was pretty in, intense. Um, but for me, I was like, man, this guy, this guy is awesome. I love the philosophy end of his talks. But this week, we're diving right back into our series called Home Run Life. And if you haven't been with us, I want to share with you over the last few weeks where we've been so that you might say, oh, okay, this is where we're at now. So um, I want to put, there's a graphic I want to put up on the screen of running the bases, and I'm just going to share that with you. Many of you have played baseball. I, play, I grew up playing baseball in high school. And um, when you get to the plate, you got to connect. Right? That's the point. Or get hit by the ball and run to first base. You've got to get on base. That's the point. If you stand up there and strike out, nobody strategically walks up to the plate and goes, hmm, if I strike out here, this could be really good for the team. We want to get on base. We want to win. And so what we do is we step up to the plate and we connect with God. And what we're talking about here in terms of, uh, uh, of this life, of the spiritual life, is winning with dependence on God. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about Jacob and how Jacob had to finally admit who he was before the Lord and be dependent on the Lord before he could ever go further in his life. And then when we run, begin to run the bases, today what we're on is this winning within, winning our character battles. Character is among the most important things that we could win with. Oh, Marlia is here. We just prayed for her. We prayed for you, Marlia. I said you weren't here. That was a joke, I guess. I didn't know you were on your way. But keep praying for Marlia. She needs a new kidney, and, uh, and she's getting surgery soon. So we pray for her. Um, winning our character battles, and then the next is winning with others, and then the next is winning results. And the idea is, if you were playing baseball, you would never run the bases backwards, right? You would be out. But many of us in life like to run the bases backwards. We like to go right after results, the very first thing. We connect at the plate and we go, okay, we want to win right away. Some people right out of college say what that looks like is we want to make a ton of money or we want to to do so well in life, you know, we want to have all these things. That's what we want. And so they run the third base first. And then along the way, maybe years later, they realize their relationships begin to fall apart. And then maybe years later from there, they realize that, that, that they've hit on some fundamental character issues that are a problem for them. And these character issues are like giant sinkholes in their life. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So it all starts with dependence and it goes to character issues. Today we're talking about character. How many of you have seen Iron Man? The original Iron Man. Anybody here into superhero movies? Okay, some of us have. Now, there's some language and sexual content and stuff that I don't recommend. But then again, we're reading the story of Samson today. And there's some sexual content and violence that I wouldn't recommend out of the story of Samson. So, um, so one of the things I want to talk about was in the very beginning, you see Tony Stark. You know, he's this this handsome-looking guy. He's in this Humvee. Everybody's wanting to take pictures of him, this opening scene. And all of a sudden, they come under fire, enemy fire. And they start getting attacked. His whole group, um, his whole company gets taken out. And he goes and hides behind this rock. And all of a sudden, a bomb comes and lands next to him. And does anybody remember what the bomb says? Stark Industries. Many times, our greatest character problems go off like bombs in our face, and they have our name written all over them. 
There's some great symbolism in this because Tony Stark didn't really care about how he lived his life. He was the womanizer, the partier, the, the, the flamboyant playboy millionaire billionaire. And yet his character bombs came back to blow up right in his face. Many of the things that blow up in our face, many of the battles that we fight in life, they actually have our name on them, don't they? Why is it that the real housewives, housewives are so entertaining? Because you see their big bombs come back and blow up all in their faces. Oh, you said that. You said that. Our character tends to come back to bite us if we're not careful with it. And usually it has our name written all over it. A few years ago, there was a Corvette museum. Did any of you hear about this? And a sinkhole opened up under like five or ten rare Corvettes. We'll show a picture. This is one of the Corvettes. The same, they, they had to get a crane and, and lift it out. This is what character issues are like. If you go around ignoring your character issue, you might look good on the outside for a while. You might do good for quite some time. But a character issue is like this sinkhole that just eats away from underneath you. And the big, beautiful Corvette that you were with a lot of horsepower and looking sexy falls into a giant hole and turns out like that. I think they've got like five or six of these displays um, on display at the Corvette Museum. The Corvettes, this ultra-rare Corvettes that were completely ruined by a sinkhole. This happened just a couple years ago. But this is how it looks when we don't win character battles. And so I think God calls us to win these character battles within us because every little character battle that you win is like a battle in this bigger war. And as you win these character battles and as you do better with these character battles, you become this stronger person for the Lord, more dependent person for the Lord. And so flip with me to Judges chapter 13. We've been going through Old Testament stories in this series. And um, if, you, if you have a Bible and you want to flip with me to Judges chapter uh, 13, we are going to kind of be in there today, although I'm going to flip around so you can kind of keep your thumb in, uh, in that spot. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story of Samson. And I just wanted to give you a quick overview of the book of Judges if you've never even heard of it before so you can kind of understand what is going on. So the people of God, the nation of Israel, was held captive in Egypt. And God began to use this guy named Moses to say, let my people go. And so they began to, to, to take um, these people and, and go out, and it was called the Exodus. And so they, they left all of, of their old slavery behind, and God miraculously parted the sea. God miraculously fed them. God miraculously gave them the promised land, defeated um, the Canaanites in the Battle of Jericho. An amazing time. And so now they're in this weird moment of Israel's history. This moment where God called them to take the land. God called them to defeat all of it so that they could start fresh. And, and yet their, their predecessors didn't do that. And so there's still some people, some bad people, that want to pollute um, what God had made good. And God said, you know, I want to create these judges that rise up. Because in this rightful, God was in his rightful spot at this time. God was king. God was looked at as king. And so in the, the era of the judges, we have this really interesting history. You could read the entire book of Judges, and it kind of does this. It's like, when they honor God, all is well. When they honor God, 
evil is defeated. When they honor God, good things happen. But then when people worship um, Baal or Baal, and they set up their Asherah poles, and they, they worship the gods of the land, then they're allowed to be defeated. Then they go into famine. Then they struggle. And so you have these different people that are judges or leaders of Israel. And one of the judges that was called up to lead at this time is a man named Samson. Samson, as a kid, was one of my favorite characters. I mean, I didn't really, we didn't go to church that much. Um, there's a lot of, there's some pain and hurt there, and some of you have heard that story. But as a, um, as a kid, I remember reading through the children's Bible, and I just loved this idea of this strong dude, like, going to do battle with um, the Philistines. And although I didn't really understand it at the time, I just loved that story. So, um, Judges chapter 13 Verses uh, 2 through 5. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is a Nazarite, dedicated to, God from, um, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Wow, this is a huge, huge thing. We have to understand why this is so important. The Philistines were the only ones, they kind of dominated the land at the time. And the Philistines would not allow the Israelites to have the kind of tools that would sharpen a plow. And the reason why they did that is because if you had those kind of tools, you might make a sword and then you might go to battle against them. And so you had to take all your plows and everything over to the Philistines for them to sharpen your plows. And the Philistines wanted to dominate this area. And so this is a really interesting thing here because there's this birth narrative that says this guy, Samson, is special. He is going to drive out these Philistines. And in fact, he's going to really save Israel. And so um, we see this birth narrative. She's pregnant, no razor. I mean, they get real specific. No fermented drink, no wine. Um, Judges 13.25 even says that as he was growing, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. So the Spirit of the Lord even began to stir in, in this boy, Samson. And so God was doing something with this guy, Samson. See, unfortunately, Samson grew up strong in his body, but weak in his character. In fact, he trusted his body for many things, like we probably do too. He trusted it for many things because he was the strongest man in the world. Something by the which I hope none of you ruin when I, I tell my kids that I, I am the strongest man in the world. So if we could just keep that going, that would be great. But, um, yes, I just asked you all the why. But technically, it's not bearing false witness against your neighbor. Sorry. Anyways, joke, joke, don't lie to my kids. So this guy, Samson, as you read the story, he was effective at fighting the Philistines. He was good at it. But he lacked some character things that would cause him problems later on 
down the line. I want to just show you, so keep your thumb in, in the book of Judges. If we were to go back to the book of um, Joshua, what did Joshua say when they conquered the land? What did Joshua say about intermarriage? You know, oh man, I think I may have. Did I skip something? Yeah, I did skip something. Oh no, I didn't. I ordered it wrong in my notes. Anyways, now that I've technically reordered my sermon in my head, let me, let me share this with you. See, Samson took a Philistine wife, and he should not have done that. Although the scripture did say something like the Lord was trying to do something. But he, he took a Philistine life, wife, and here's what it says in the book of Joshua, though. Uh, chapter 23, verses, 13 through, uh, um, verses 12 through 13. But if you turn away and ally yourself with the survivors of these nations, speaking to Israel, meaning the Philistines, the Midianites, all these people, you allow yourself to ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain strong. And if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your back and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So Joshua's real stern warning to Israel was, do not intermarry with these people because in intermarrying, one of the problems is that your clan now is joined with this clan and your success is tied to their success. And they do not want good for them. And so there's this problem in intermarriage. And then you see this sort of young guy named Samson. Um, Judges 14 Two, one of the things that he has see, said to his parents is he says this, I, seen, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now g- get her for me as my wife. That's exactly the story of how Desiree and I got together. I said to my parents, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> what, um, go get her for me as my wife. But he just has, says to his parents, go get her for me as my wife. And see, this guy is set up to be a Nazarite. He's set up to where he shouldn't shave his head. And and part of the vows that that his parents took for him, and part of the vows that he was supposed to take, he had to be careful about who he associated with and who he married. He had a special purpose in Israel. Even when his mother was pregnant, she she was told he's going to be set apart for a special purpose. Numbers chapter 6 talks about what Nazarites, who they are, and what they need to do. So let me read this for you. um, Chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, or 1 through 6. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to all the Israelites and say to them, If a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite, they must abstain from wine and other fermented drink and must not drink vinegar, excuse me, must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. They must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. As long as they remain under their Nazarite vow, they must not eat anything that comes from the grapevines, not even the seeds or skins. During the entire period of their Nazarite vow, no razor may be used on their head. They must be holy until the period of their dedication to the Lord is over. They must let their hair grow long. Throughout the period of their dedication to the Lord, the Nazarite must not go near a dead body. That's pretty easy for us to do today, right? To not go near a dead body. That's, that's an easy one. But Samson must not thought much of crossing the line. 
See, he had these things, like you were supposed to be a Nazarite. You're supposed to not shave your head. You're supposed to not drink wine. You're supposed to be set apart, set holy. You're supposed to be different, Samson. And you're not supposed to go near dead bodies because those can make you unclean. And, and, and so Samson um, later breaks some of these vows. And, and we're in Judges 14 now, verses 8 through 9. So he already gone to get his wife and says, sometime later when he went back to marry her, he turned aside and looked at the lion's carcass. By the way, a lion which he killed. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, um, he gave them some to to eat. But they did not, I'm sorry, but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. So this might seem like a small deal. Well, actually, it's in our 21st century eyes, it's really weird that Samson would go see a lion's carcass and there's bees and honey and he just scoops them out and like Pooh Bear, mm, you know, just, this is delicious, Pooh Bear-like. Um, just scoop it out and, and eat some. It, it, it's really strange. He knew it was wrong. He knew he shouldn't do it. He knew it was a line that he was crossing. But he must, must, must have thought it was okay because there was no immediate consequences to what he did wrong. A lot of times this happens to us, right? We do something and it's just slightly wrong or it, it, maybe it's wrong in a big way and we're like, man, we're free and clear. There's no immediate consequences to what we did. We're good. And this is what happened with Samson. There was no immediate consequences. And this is how character struggles start. We cross a line. It seems okay at the time. No one notices. Or maybe they think it's not a big enough deal for other people to worry about, so I'm cool. And let's face it, you know somebody who did something even worse. So you're good, right? We're golden because we could always just blame it on that guy. But oftentimes when we succeed in areas of life, we give ourselves to permission to neglect other areas. Isn't this true? When we succeed in areas of life, we give ourselves permission to neglect other areas of life. So we do well at work, but how's your spiritual life going? So you're doing great um, in, in you know, writing, and that's wonderful, but how's, how's life with your family going? You know, you're doing great in, in and, you know, you're doing some amazing um, uh, parenting, and that's great, but how's your relationship with your spouse? You know, sometimes when we succeed in areas, we give ourselves permission to, to let others slide, and it's a character issue. You get a promotion at work, and pretty soon you're thinking, wow, this is a great thing for my family. We're making more money. We're doing better. Life is good. But pretty soon you neglect worship and you neglect God. And then your family, guess what they begin to neglect? Worship and God. And pretty soon when you begin to neglect those big things, like putting God first in your life, then other character struggles just pop up naturally. And so we've got to guard ourselves against this, what Samson did, about being, doing great in one area and allowing ourselves to slide in others. I've found in leadership, what you allow in yourself, you allow with others. And so I would just say, what you allow with yourself, where you allow yourself to slide, you allow others to slide. 
And so I think the important thing here is being careful about where you allow yourself to slide. So let's keep going here. So these character issues may have seemed small at the time, but they turn into a major deal. I think one of the serious questions that we have to answer in life is this. What are the lines that we better not cross? What are the lines that we better not cross? Who are the experts when it comes to teaching us character? Who do we listen to? And I've asked this question numerous times. Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? And many of you would say, yes, but have you accepted him as your teacher, the very best person to do life with? Have you? So, but who are the experts now in life? There's media, politicians, friends, family, your feelings, your political party, your school teachers, religious leaders, the Bible, God. Who teaches you where the lines are? what we can cross and where we can't cross. One of the things I think was really important that Dr. Phil did last week, not, you know, how are you doing with that, Dr. Phil, but the Dr. Phil we had here last week, one of the most important things he talked about is these lines that in Christianity have been something that have been around for thousands of years where we've said, you know what, we just are the kind of people that need to abstain from sexual immorality or we're the kind of people that need to abstain from certain things. Um, these lines are constantly getting blurred in our culture. And they're constantly changing to the point where the question is, is there really right or is there really wrong anymore? And that's the big thing that Dr. Phil talked about last week. But who do we allow to draw the lines of our life? Who do we allow to tell us what is acceptable and what is not acceptable? You see, if you don't have a daily habit in the Word of God, it gets really easy to get sidelined and sidetracked to allow other people to tell you what's acceptable and what is not acceptable. You don't have to read, you know, 40 chapters a day. You don't need to read, like, try and, you know, be like Augustine and, 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 you know, go through the Bible three, four times a year. A solid pattern of reading Scripture will give you that. Will tell us, you know, for me, that's just not a good thing. Or for me, this is a good thing. This is why we need great Bible reading habits. I want to give you an example from everyday life. Um, we have their solid lines in life, right? Like those lines on the TVs. Are you allowed to cross those lines? The answer is no. So <laughs> those of you who are going to go take your driving test soon, we're giving you the answers here like right away. Don't cross those lines. If you cross those lines, you could be killed on a head-on collision. There's a reason why the planners of the roads put those lines down. They're, don't cross those lines. This is dangerous for you. Those lines tell you that you'll be in grave danger if you begin to cross them. And when we begin to think about character battles and Samson, Samson began to cross some lines that he should not have crossed. These little character things, just over and over and over again, he began to cross these lines. And he didn't see a problem with it at the time, but it ended up in him literally pushing a temple down, killing like 3,000 Philistines instead of driving the entire Philistine army out of their land. He, was, he had a bigger calling on his life, but because of these little character battles that he couldn't win, he only ended up fulfilling part of this calling, not the whole thing. The book of Colossians, um, chapter 3, 
gives us some really solid things to think about when it comes to solid lines. Colossians 3, and those of you who are like black and white people, like you just want right or wrong, this is just like, this moment is your moment in the sermon right here. You just love this kind of stuff. Um, Colossians 3, verse 5, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because these, the wrath of God is coming. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language um, from your lips. Do not lie to each other, so don't lie to my kids. Uh, Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the um, image of the Creator. So this is the Apostle Paul talking to the church, and he's saying, listen, you guys, there's some lines that you just best not cross. It's not good for you to cross these lines. When you cross these lines, bad things happen. When you cross these lines, it hurts everybody, not just yourself. It would be catastrophic to cross these lines. But there's also roads. Now, those of you who are studying for your driver's test again, there's also roads with dotted lines, Right? And my wife frequently gets upset at me whenever we're traveling on a mountain road and there's the slow person going right in front of me. I just can't handle that. I need to get around them, right? And I see this line, the passing lane. You better believe I'm gunning it and getting around that guy, if it's safe. But these dotted lines, you're, you're allowed to go in and out of them. And so there's some things in Scripture that just are not clear. You know, there's this, there's this verse in Scripture that says, if you think it's a sin for you, then it is. And you do it then, it, then it is. So let me give you an example for me. For me, I'm a pastor in the Wesleyan Church. And in leadership, in, in covenant membership and in leadership, we do not affirm the use of alcohol. Now, for me, this is it's like a solid line issue. I, I've signed a covenant. It's just, for me, that's just... The, the, it would be a sin for me to do that. For me. Now, the Bible talks like a solid line issue would be drunkenness. The Bible talks a lot about alcohol, but where it talks about a sin issue, it talks about drunkenness. It would be wrong for me, though, to take what is a solid line issue for me and push it off to you because it might be a dotted line issue. And, and let me clear this up a little bit more when it comes um, to al- al- alcohol. I have to be careful about presenting my strongly held belief as a solid line issue when it's clearly a dotted line issue. So if I want to win in the character, if I want to win the character battle and the dotted line issues with me, I have to not make them a solid line issue. God has simply asked me to abstain from some things. And so I need to do that. But I can't take what God has asked me to abstain from and make it a big issue for you. Now, in the Wesleyan Church, we say it's just a better idea in general to stay away. Absolutely. But biblically, the the biblical mandate simply says, don't get drunk. So I think it's smart I think it's smart to stay away. Absolutely. And me, for me personally, 
It's one of those things that I, I just need to stay away from. And that's like a covenant thing between God and I. But it might not be for you. See, in our character battles, and Tracy, this is really, I'm like hearing it in my ears, sorry. For some reason, my microphone just got really loud. Um, Maybe God wants you to hear this, I don't know. Um, So for me, this issue of alcohol might not be a solid line issue for everybody. Does that make sense? But it's a dotted line issue for some people. And so we've got to be careful about winning the battles here. Solid line issues. There's some things biblically, it's just solid. You don't want to cross those lines. Dotted line issues. God says, hey, you've got freedom. You choose. If it's a sin for you, then don't do it. And don't lead others into it. But there might be some little things like that are just preferential. And don't take your preference and make it feel like a sin for somebody else. We've got to be careful with that as well. And so I wanted to ask, how do we win the character battles? I want to give us just four ways, and they're in your notes, and um, just four little principles to win these character battles. The first one is pay, then play. And you're thinking, oh, I go to racquetball, pay and play. What does this mean? As a kid, there was times where I did yard work. Now, I'm the worst yard work person in the history of the world. And I'm looking at my parents and they're nodding. Yes, I was horrible at doing yard work. But my father taught me an, a lesson I still carry with me to this day. We had Dodger tickets. And I, I was so lazy at doing yard work. I would try and get out of it. I would be like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. And I'd run into the bathroom. You know, I just, I just hated it. I, I just got out of it. And my dad basically sat out there, probably with a cold lemonade, sat on the little retaining wall that we had, and he said, until every single last leaf is picked up, you will not be able to go to the Dodger game. In fact, we will load the car and go, and you'll be here. And I really want to go to this Dodger game. I mean, this is the time, this is like the, the, the Dodgers had just won the World Series. I mean, Oral Hershiser, you know, Kurt Gibson, right? Tommy Lasorda, running, hitting people with his belly before Simflast. I mean, this was an important thing in my life. But my, my parents said, listen, you're not strong at this, but we're going to make you. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. But they made me pay for it before I could enjoy it. Now, that seems like a really simple principle. And how does this help us win character battles? Let me give an easy example. Homework. Come home. I always had to do my homework. Then I could go play. Now, what would have happened if I went out and played? And I'm not saying this is right for everybody exactly because everybody gets out of school at different times. And, you know, you're a parent. You make your own judgment. But what would have happened if I would have gone out of school, played for hours and hours and hours, and then came back? I would have been too tired to do my homework. I would have come into school and I would have been like, hey, can I see what you're doing on your paper? Boom. It just led me, it would have led me into temptation of a character issue to copy off somebody's homework. What happens when, what happens when, um, um, mm, there's another one, credit cards. What happens when we get a credit card and we play in life? And then realize on the other end, holy cow, I'm tied to this now. I've got to pay this all back. We didn't pay before we played. 
And we've got to be careful there. And the reason why I use this as a character issue is because if, unless you put the work in on the front end, then you will come in and have character issues on the back end. And it's really important to win those character battles right up front. Samson could have ruled Israel with God's power and God's blessing. All he had to do was live within the lines that God drew for him. Instead, he chose to play. And he paid for it eventually with his strength, freedom, and he actually lost his sight and his life. Next one. Win in three-second windows. Oftentimes, characters' battles start at the point of temptation. So the three-second window is that time when you kill temptation. So maybe men, for you, is lust issues. And you need to memorize a verse or something. I, I don't know what that could be, but memorize something, get your mind on something else. You pray for three seconds. I don't know what it is, but when that temptation comes your mind automatically goes to this Bible verse. Your mind automatically goes to the Lord. When temptation, when temptation came at Potiphar's house for Joseph, what was his three-second window? What did he do? He ran. Maybe that's your three-second window of winning. When a temptation comes, you just bolt. Like, did you see that guy? We just asked him, you know, if he uh, wanted to go in on the company pool here, and he just ran. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. It's Super Bowl, you know. But when in three-second windows, temptation, when it rears its ugly head, maybe for you it's anger, and, and, and you feel it bubbling up. And those of you who have struggled with anger issues, you know how this is. It, you feel it bubbling up, and it comes over you, and all of a sudden you lose all control. But maybe it's beginning to, to memorize verses such as um, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Something like that. So when that temptation comes to let anger rule you, you simply just bust that phrase out, bust that verse out. And then you walk away. Remember the setting in which you grew up might explain your behavior. Might explain why that temptation is such a huge temptation. But it doesn't excuse that from being a temptation. Does that make sense? The setting in which you grew up might explain your temptations, but it doesn't excuse it. Number three, and this is huge, have no secret world. I mean, this seems like pretty self-explanatory to have no secret world, but unfortunately, Tiger Woods found out about this the hard way, right? When you have a secret world, what you're basically doing is you're boring out the holes of your sinkholes in life. Every time you had this secret world, this secret fling, this secret relationship, this secret whatever, you are digging out your foundations underneath you and they will come crashing down. This is why the scripture is so clear in being open in confessing your sin because when you confess your sin, you begin to have no secret world. You cannot go the distance. You cannot win character battles by having secret worlds. And then number four, put purity over passion. Put purity over passion. The simple fact is that New and Old Testament, the New and Old Testament tells us that we need to abstain from sexual sin, adultery, sex outside of marriage or before marriage, homosexuality, and lust. Simple what the Old and New Testament says. And we could dive deeper into that, and we have scripturally, 
But what, the reason why we talk about sexual sin is because it is so powerful that it literally begins to overtake your entire life. And so that's the reason why we talk about sexual sin. Put purity over passion. Human nature has not changed in thousands of years. This has always been a tough one. But the reason why this sin is so powerful is because it's not just harming you, it's harming somebody else. And the web of hurt goes out and reaches tons and tons of people, not just yourself. Sexual sin will take you further than you want to go, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you're willing to pay. That's a John Maxwell quote. It's amazing, and the reason why some of you go, oh, I don't have any problems here. But it's amazing how much this rears its ugly head in our society. And I want to tell you, my wife and I do foster care, and we're in a foster care class a few months back. And even in psychology, they're beginning to change this. And, and many of you have heard Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The first one is security, and you need to be safe. And what they begin to teach us is, you know, part of safety, safety is having good, healthy sexual relations all while you're growing up. And we were like, I raised my hand and said, I think you're crazy. And then there was a medical doctor sitting next to me, and he raised his hand and said, I, yeah, I think you're crazy too. But part of our society is saying is, no, this is good and healthy. But really what's going on is it begins to hurt, and we need to be careful with this because it begins to undermine our self-worth and our value. So we have to be careful with this. Going back to Samson for a minute, Samson had this huge promise in his life, but he consistently lost the character battle. He consistently lost it. So my question for you is, what will it take for you to consistently win? What is the character battle that you are facing in your life right now? I want to actually invite the band to come up, and we're going we're gonna to close in a minute in a, in a worship song, and we're going to have a time of offering. But before our formal time of giving happens, what I want to invite you to do is give in a completely different way. Many of you right here, right now, are struggling with character issues. And it's closed. It's quiet. Nobody knows about it. And if somebody knew about it, maybe you'd get fired from work. If somebody knew about it, maybe there'd be a big fight with your husband or wife. Maybe if somebody knew about it, you'd just be in huge amounts and gobs of trouble. But you have this character issue. And and if you're here and you have one of those, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you have not submitted that over to the Lord. And yes, we're going to sing a song, we're going to sing some scripture, or we're going to sing today and worship the Lord, but maybe for you, it's just a time to offer that up to God. During this song, right now, maybe you want to just come and pray or before the altars, maybe you simply need to sit where you're at and say, Lord, I've got this character issue, come search me, know my ways, make my path straight. God, I am not following you. God, I've got these character issues. Or, or maybe you simply need to say, God, I've got this character issue and it's a battle every single day and I need you to fight it with me because I'm going at it alone. Maybe there's some of you here today who simply need to run. I just want to open this up to you today. Maybe it's a time of prayer at the altar. Maybe it's a time of prayer in your seats. Maybe it's simply a time of worship. We want you to have this moment before the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, character issues come up so much for us. 
God, there's some of us here today who have never repented of our sins. We've never turned the opposite direction. We've never told you that we're wrong. And we are desperately holding on to these things in our lives. And Lord, we know the promises that, that if, if we confess our sins and you are faithful and just to forgive. So Lord, we want to give these to you today as offerings. Lord, we know that you are faithful and just to forgive us and to make us pure before the Holy Father. God, that you could take our life and drastically make it brand new, just as you did with Paul the Apostle. God, you could do that here today. So God, we pray for this moment where people would just simply give over their character battles to you and invite you in for help. God, we don't just need you as a helper in our life. We need you as our divine controller, our divine walker. We need you to take us by the hand and show us where to go next and give us the right answers. God, we need you. And we give ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.